So we we are in the middle of a series of messages talking about gardens and planting and orchards and farms and all that stuff we really don't know that much about, but but we pick it up in the Bible. Um, and the reason we're doing this is because it is it is the Lenten sermon series. This is the season of Lent, and uh, Lent is the season of uh, reflection and repentance. It's the it's the uh, it's been called the time of woe before the time of wow. It's it's the the time we spend reflecting on on how desperately we need a savior, our, our daily bread, as we heard, um, uh, the air we breathe, how, how much we need a savior so that we can better appreciate what we have on Easter when we see we have a savior who has done great things for us. So, so we're, we're in this series of uh, Linton messages and uh, they take place, um, or have to do with gardens. And the reason for that is because they kind of begin and end in the garden. They begin in the Garden of Eden. Um, we looked at that a couple of weeks ago, and we'll conclude in a few weeks in the Garden of Gethsemane. And last week we saw what happens when Jesus does gardening. Um, and and if you're a fig tree, it's not very pleasant. So if you weren't here last week, let me just encourage you to uh, uh, go online and listen to that on the uh, on the podcast or however you'd like to do that. But um, today we're going to look at um, a story that Jesus tells about gardening. Maybe because he wasn't such a great gardener, he tells stories about it. But um, he tells what's called the parable of the tenants. Um, there's the, the reason it's not called the parable of the vineyard is because there's another story um, in the Bible that already got that name. So people call this the parable of the tenants or sometimes the parable of the wicked tenants. And the reason Jesus talks in parables is because a parable makes a comparison. Jesus says, I know something about God and God's kingdom that is not evident to you. So I'm going to describe it to you in terms of that you understand, everyday sorts of things that you understand. So so some of his parables were out fishing because a lot of the people were fishermen. Um, uh, and he would talk about uh, other things, a, a woman uh, uh, cleaning her house, uh, things that people could understand. And he does it here in, in a story about uh, a vineyard because people knew about vineyards. Now, it's a little bit of a leap for us because we don't do much farming. But it's easier to understand a farm than it is to understand the kingdom of God by itself. So, so the parables speak to us as well. So we're going to look at this parable. And um, before I begin, I have to tell you there's some good news and some bad news. The bad news is this is a stewardship message. The good news is it's aimed at religious leaders. Okay, so if you're not a regular churchgoer, if you haven't grown up in church, um, you might have noticed the person next to you kind of gasped or winced when, when I said stewardship sermon. The reason is because stewardship sermons are not popular. Uh, nobody nobody goes to church saying, ooh, I hope he preaches on stewardship today. Um, and so when I said it's, a, it's aimed at religious leaders, it was kind of a, uh, phew, dodge that bullet sort of thing. Um, the reason is we don't like to hear stewardship. Stewardship is this idea that that God has given us things and that they aren't ours that we are simply the managers of them. The same way as when you make a deposit at the bank, it's not their money, right? It's your money. And they're supposed to do things with it and then give you the interest or whatever whatever it is they've agreed to do. They act on your behalf as your stewards. And maybe if you're rich enough, you get a financial manager and then you're not just an account number, you're a person and so forth. And so that's kind of what's going on in this story. Uh, uh, God has given people responsibility over something. And so... Um, stewardship sermons are painful because because they invite the the awkward questions. You know, you get a raise at work, and you have to ask yourself, uh, why did God give me a raise at work? Was it because He wanted me to upgrade my driving experience, 
Well, maybe. Maybe God wanted you to to find a suitable charity and practice some generosity. You have to answer that question for yourself, but that's the reason we don't like stewardship sermons, because we have to think about these things. And we know the answer we want, but it may not be the answer God wants. So we have to wrestle with this. If we if we if we if we retire, we have to ask ourselves, is God giving me more time so I can take up golf? Or is God giving me more time so I can so I can volunteer and be a mentor in a, uh, to, to some poor kids in the community. We have to we have to wrestle with these sorts of questions. So people don't like stewardship questions, stewardship, uh, stewardship messages. And the good news is today's message is a stewardship message, but it's not aimed at uh, individuals as much as religious leaders. So we're going to look at this. Jesus is talking to religious leaders. Uh, the reason for that we saw last week. Jesus came into the temple one day and started acting like he owned the joint. He knocked over some some uh, uh, tables. He drove people out. He told them they couldn't do this and they couldn't do that. And he said some pretty hurtful things to them. And so uh, religious leaders do what religious leaders always do. They formed a committee. And uh, then the committee came to Jesus and said, who are you and what do you think you're doing here? And so, so uh, we're picking this up about halfway through his answer. And I have to tell you, if 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 today's message, um, if if the if the uh, story you hear from Jesus today isn't interesting enough, let me encourage you to go back and read the rest of chapter 21. It's a fascinating story, and um, I just, you know, I'd be here all day. I'd tell you all about it because there's some great stuff. If you wonder who gets into heaven before religious leaders, the answer is in the previous parable. So um, let me encourage you to uh, take a look at that. But we're going to look at the parable of the wicked tenants. So. Um, uh, if you were to pick one, one parable, one thing Jesus did, one story he told, one, one thing Jesus did out of his entire ministry that got him crucified, my money would be on this. Now, we know in the scriptures there's all kinds of things Jesus did. He was always offending people. And um, uh, Jesus uh, had, had plenty of people who were upset with him. But if you had to pick one and say, what was the most insulting, the most hurtful thing Jesus did that wound up getting him crucified, my money would be on this passage that we're going to read today. So, uh, the parable of the, the wicked tenants. Jesus is answering the question, who do you think you are? And he says, he says, um, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Now, this is familiar imagery. People will understand what Jesus is getting at. Uh, we saw that last week. This is a part, he's, he's making a, a reference to the um, Hebrew scriptures. And last week we saw the passage he was referring to is something called the parable of the vineyard I mentioned earlier. In, in the, the writings of the prophet Isaiah, there is a parable that says, um, my beloved God had a vineyard, he dug it and cleared it of stones, planted it with choice vines, built a watchtower in the midst of it, and hewed out a wine vat in it. So they're saying, okay, yeah, I've heard this story. I know how this one goes. This is a very familiar passage to religious leaders in Jesus' day. So he says, let me tell you about a vineyard. There's this, this, and they go, I know where this is headed, right? And so so um, he says, he, lent, he leased it out to tenants and went to another country. But when harvest time came, he sent his slaves to the tenants to collect his produce. Now, who are the slaves? The slaves are the prophets. They're people like Isaiah, 
Okay, uh, there are all the people that God has sent down through the years whenever things weren't right in his vineyard, the kind of things that Isaiah was talking about in the parable of the vineyard, whenever things weren't working out right in the, 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 the vineyard that God has established, he would send prophets to say, here's what you need to do differently. Here's the way God wants uh, this vineyard to, to operate. Here's the kind of fruit this vineyard needs to be producing for God. So Jesus is saying he sent servants. He sent slaves um, to uh, collect his produce. But the tenants seized his slaves and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other slaves more than the first, and they treated them the same way. And this is what, again, the religious authorities would have been very aware that that's exactly what happened to most of the prophets. There's a few that lived out their lives and were given great honor. Most of them got a lot of lumps. Okay, it's not an easy job being a prophet because people don't want to hear God telling them they're doing it all wrong. And that's that's the reason God sends a prophet is because he, he wants to put people back on track. So so they um, they're not happy to hear hear it, and um, so they kill they kill the slaves. And so finally, he sent his son to them, saying, "They will respect my son." But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, "This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and get his inheritance." Okay, and this is where Jesus doubles down. He doesn't simply say, "You are doing exactly the same kind of wrong things that people have done all along." Okay, you're just like your ancestors. He's 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 pulling out the top insult he can. Okay. Because he's likening what they're doing to what Jezebel did. Now, Jezebel is not a household word anymore, I know, but it was for them. Okay, For them, Jezebel was very easy to remember because she was the wife of the worst king in Israel's history. Out of all of the kings, and there were some doozies, the worst one was a guy named Ahab. And his wife was the worst first lady or queen of, of Israel, um, partly because she was married to such a bad king, but as we saw in the reading, um, because she was kind of a mess herself. Um, she came from a different country. She was not an Israelite. She was from one of the neighboring countries, and Ahab had married her as a political alliance. And so, for example, when Ahab came home one day saying, you know, I'm unhappy because I can't get my way, she said, you people in Israel don't understand the way kings are supposed to work. You do what you want, and people let you because you're king. And so um, in, in Israel, they had this idea the king was answerable to God. And Jezebel goes, you know, no, you just do whatever you want. So Jezebel frames, uh, rigs this system where somebody is framed and and um, uh, 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 false testimony is, is uh, suborned against him. And then he is taken out of the city and stoned. And Jesus says, that's what the religious leaders are like. They see the son, and they say, hey, we can get his inheritance. All we've got to do is kill him. So Jesus amps up his comparison beyond that hurt, that stung Jesus, to I'll kill you, Jesus. That's what Jesus does here. The religious leaders know exactly what he's getting at. They understand what he's saying about stewardship. They understand the idea of the vineyard. But they also understand where Jesus is taking this to this new level. And in fact, that's what they do. A couple of days after Jesus tells this story, they arrest him. They get some false testimony about him. They take him outside the city and they kill him. 
So Jesus knew exactly what they would do when he came up with this parable. And the complaint is that the people running the vineyard aren't giving God the produce that God wants. What's interesting to me in this parable is it doesn't even say why. It doesn't say they wanted the produce for themselves. It doesn't say they were embarrassed because they'd been lazy all season and hadn't bothered to tend the vines. It doesn't say why. They just took it for their own. They said, this is my vineyard. I don't care about some absentee landlord who's going to come here and tell me what to do with it. This is all for me and you can't tell me what to do. And that's what makes it a stewardship parable. Because we know what that's like. We know what it's like to have this sense that God would probably want us to do something different, to have different kind of fruit in our lives with the things God's given us responsibility for. So you can understand, essentially any stewardship sermon has a personal application. And if that's hitting you right now, great, go home and think about that. But what I really want to do today is I want to focus on religious leaders, because that's what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is talking specifically to religious leaders. He's saying, God has given you a temple. He's given you the law. He's given you the benefit of all of the, the religious history of the Jews down through the ages, the, the, the testimony of the prophets. He's given you all these amazing things. He's given you jobs. There's a whole tribe of Israelites called the Levites whose job, their ancestral job, is to offer sacrifices in the temple. They've got their own land. They've got their own cities. Uh, they've got they've got a livelihood. They get to benefit from the sacrificial system. There are all these benefits that God has put in place so that they can work his vineyard. And they're not doing it. They're not doing it the way that God wants. So Jesus is the final best prophet calling them on track. And like the other prophets, he too is killed. So I think we as religious leaders have to listen very attentively to what Jesus is saying here and ask ourselves, what would Jesus have us do? And I do mean us. Um, there's more than one religious leader at this church. Um, uh, you know that because uh, you voted for them five weeks ago, the same time you called me uh, with my terms of call uh, at the uh, charge conference. You also voted for our council members, the, the ruling elders who will uh, lead this church in our council. And then you have to ask yourself, well, okay, now I know who the leaders are, but ask yourself, who votes for leaders? right? Who gets to vote for leaders? I would say everybody in this church falls into one of two categories. You're either a leader or you are one of those servants of God who is sent to correct the leaders. You're either in the position of hearing what is said and acting in a way to produce the fruit that God is looking for in this church. Or you are one of the people God has sent to say, you know what, I'm not sure that that's really what God is calling us to do in this vineyard right now. I don't think that's the kind of fruit God wants. So you should ask yourself, uh, what do I think about where this church is and what it's trying to accomplish? Uh, let me give you an example. Have you ever, have you ever sat in the church and said, I hate that song? Right? I'm the only one. Okay, sure. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> there's a whole separate sermon on lying. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, but if you've ever said to yourself, I hate that song, you know, if you just leave it there, that's just an opinion. But if you ask yourself, what's, what's wrong with that song? 
You say to yourself, you know, the song, the problem with that song is it's said in the wrong key and I can't sing it. Well, maybe, maybe that's God's Holy Spirit whispering in your ear, you know, this song is a hard song. People can't sing it because we don't have the musical training. We don't have the voice training to sing that song well. And maybe, maybe uh, God is calling you to, to, to work with the leaders of this church to make our music something that's more effective. But but that's that's a, that's a trivial example because everybody, even though you wouldn't admit it, everybody has said, "I hate that song." Okay, but but maybe maybe what's on your heart is something else. Maybe you have said to yourself, "You know, I drive through this neighborhood as I come to church on Sunday, and I am brokenhearted at all the people whose houses I drive by who don't know God." And you say, "This church needs to minister to people who don't know God in a different way." Because that's the produce that I believe God is calling us to, to, to yield at harvest time. Maybe that's what's on your heart. Maybe you're thinking, you know, uh, I, I, I think that God wants this church to have an impact in the community. I want it to, to have an impact beyond its own, own doors. God is giving us stuff, not just so we can take care of ourselves, but so that we can be part of the, the work that God is doing in the world around us. Maybe you say this church needs to have a ministry outside its doors. Okay, um, that could be a place where you're saying we need to fine-tune that, we need to do things differently. You could be the voice of one of those servants that is telling us the produce that God wants this vineyard to yield. Maybe it's something more basic. Maybe you're saying, I want a church where my children can meet Jesus and fall in love with him. Maybe I want a church where my grandchildren can meet Jesus and fall in love with him. That could be the message that this church needs to hear in order to understand what is the produce that God is calling us to yield in his harvest. Now, this is something that the the council has been wrestling with for the last couple of months, and in the next few weeks, we're going to begin having congregational meetings um, as we as we explore what our vineyard is. What what is the vineyard that God has given us to work in? And what is the produce that God wants us to produce. So we're going to be having those conversations outside of council with, with all of the religious leaders in the church and all the prophets who have come to help straighten this out. So um, whichever category you fall in, I encourage you to be part of that conversation, to help us to understand what is God calling us to do. We want to be faithful to God, but we can only understand what it is that God is calling if we put our heads together and think about it and pray about it. So let me encourage you, come to those meetings as you hear them. Um, pray for counsel as we sort out the final details in setting that up. And pray for pray for the, the meetings, that they be effective in helping us to understand what God is calling us to do. Jesus wants the vineyard to produce a harvest. And by God's grace, we will. Thanks be to God. Amen.